everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. Frank, I just turned this on. We're live now. It's Everyman BJJ podcast. I think we're in the 46th week of the year starting today. November, what is it? Yeah, November 8th. We're already a, over a week into November, past elections, uh, mostly, um, and there's a lot going on on this planet still. The pandemic has not taken us out, but you seem to be uh, happy, full of energy, full of life. You're seeing the half, uh, the glass uh half full today so how are you doing well i got the beanie right i got the little hat yeah it's not fancy but like it's like a gap one right so gap like very basic but uh you know we've got here in utah we had we've got some snow right so early snow came early and i was walking i told you off camera i was walking from the cafe where i was writing i walked five or six blocks here home and it was it was a little bit of rain and snowy and like 38 39 degrees and it was just it was amazing man i'm like i was just soaking it in it was like being a child of baltimore growing up in baltimore where you have the four seasons um the rain and the cold are kind of sentimental to me you know i have so many so many childhood memories playing sandlot football and just so many things and so it's just kind of nostalgic. Anyway, yeah, you and I were also talking about things like cancel culture and some of the political things that are going on. This is not a political podcast per se, but there is a point where it's inevitable, right? It, it is, it is, it, it is, it does affect so many aspects. It affects jujitsu owners. I mean, politics now with where we are in 2020. You, you cannot, someone like me who doesn't like to talk a lot publicly about politics, even though I covered a lot of politics as a journalist, I covered city hall, I covered state legislatures, I covered, you know, city councils, I've been to the White House on assignment, I've interviewed governors, I've interviewed senators, I've interviewed congresspeople, I lived, at, you know, right outside of Washington, D.C., the Beltway, the nation's capital, I've worked in Washington, D.C. on M Street. I was very. I was writing political commentary in college. I worked on a gubernatorial campaign of a uh, a, a governor that got elected. So I've 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 lobbied for recycling legislation, for Clean Air Act legislation amendments, and so I have been very politically conscious, very politically aware. Uh, at different times, politically involved. At different times, a journalist writing and chronicling chronicling things. But at this season of my life, as I was saying, you know, so we have no choice but to talk about these things at some point because they affect so many different particles of our life now. But on the other hand, I still try to be as apolitical as possible because I want to love a wide spectrum of people. I don't want to get caught up in that. And also because for my own sanity at this season of my life, I realized how much of my life where I was angry where I was resentful, where I was jealous, where I was a lot of things that didn't serve my higher self. 
that that hurt me, that hurt me, that hurt my opportunities, that hurt relationships, that hurt my own personal fulfillment. And so I try not to get too wrapped up in it, but you can't help it at this point because if you're a jujitsu owner, let's say you're in New York City or you're wherever, I mean, let's throw out political parties. That I don't like, I don't identify, by the way, for the record, for about there, I do not identify with either political party, 100%. I do not. I think they're both part of two heads of the same monster. Two heads of the same monster. They serve the same masters at the end of the day. That's my opinion. That's my take. I don't buy into that dogma. I, I think it's the same as religious dogma myself. I think it's no different. People are treating politics as religion now. I think that's very dangerous. I We are a nation of 330 million people. We have to freaking learn to get a freaking long. We have to. We cannot be the freaking divided states of America. We cannot. And that's what I love. Tying it into what we, we do here, talking about jujitsu on and off the mats. I love when you go into a jujitsu school or a wrestling school, nobody gives a crap what your religion is, what your sexual persuasion is, what your handy. Nobody gives a crap. They're trying to work together to make themselves better, to make you better. Nobody cares. Nobody asks. There's not a lot of gossip around it. It functions as it should. That's our job. That's what oneness is. That's what a United States is and should be. We need to start acting like it. So the notion, I find it preposterous, Noah, the notion that now suddenly because of this election, regardless of the outcome, either way it had went, regardless, I find it preposterous that, oh, here comes the Trojan horse to save the day. Politics has been a dirty, rotten, you know, realm for many decades in this country. And now suddenly it's going to be magically amazing and beautiful. What, how naive are people? How naive are they? The conditions that have been created have been created by both parties for a long time. For a long time. The conditions we don't like in this society, there's blood on the hands of both parties. A lot. It's not... There's no savior coming in now to make a mat to magically wave a wand and then and life is hunky dory and utopia is upon us. It's preposterous, and I can't imagine how people are that naive not to see it. And I don't like normally talking about this because this is how I feel deep down. I just feel like we're here, bro. Let's learn to get along. Let's learn to see, bring our higher selves to the table. Let's learn to treat people the way we want to be treated. And let's not ask what their religion is. And let's not ask what their sexual persuasion is. And let's not worry about their skin color. Let's get beyond the nonsense, the divisions, the divide and conquer bullcrap. Like, that's this whole 2020 has just been kind of gross with the tribalism, with everybody pretending they're holier than thou, that their tribe has all the answers and their tribe's going to do all these great things in the world. We should just impose their tribe's beliefs on the world. Like, nah, man. Like, I don't care. You can think a lot of different things than me. You and I think different about some very fundamental things. We get along. Why? Because there's respect. And because I understand that you care about me. You've shown that. I care about you. I deeply respect you. I care about you. It's that simple. 
I don't care mm-hmm. about the boxes we check that make us different and playing this division game. And you have to agree with me, Noah, or you're a bad person. You have to agree with my same <laughs> things or you're a bad person. Shame on you for not thinking like I do. Right. Yes. Anyway, I, I, that's my little rant. I, I thought you were going to rant, and here I am ranting. Well, you know, let me um, let me put some context on why around my where my mind is on some on some topics um, because I'm going to approach the concept of cancel culture. Um, but let me kind of set that aside. You as a writer know that uh, you have to set the context. You have to set the. You have to develop the setting first before you bring along the protagonist in your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let me, if I may, spend a few minutes talking, um, but it's not a rant, actually. It's actually, I'm going to speak a little bit from fear, and you'll, you'll, you'll understand why um, yeah. as, I, as I reveal this. So if you just bear with me while I, while I uh, explain, roll this out a little bit. So um, before I talk about cancel culture, I want to talk to you about what I've been uh, reading or what I've been listening to lately. And, um, you know, I, I, I've, in, in, in this time where we're not getting to interact with people in a normal sense, face to face, um, that's given me some downtime to actually reflect upon, um, reflect upon my own biases that I have or, or things that I push away or push aside or, or I neglect or just have some kind of added pre, preconceived notion about before, uh, you know, before I look at it. And I had looked at, uh, I've drawn up a list going through um, an app on my phone that I pulled down called Libby, which I have a New York Public Library membership. Uh, I've had it for a long time since living in New York and they have quite an extensive audiobook collection. So I've been going through, paging through there and just putting on my wish list uh, a bunch of different fighters, um, boxers, you know, biographies, autobiographies. And one of them I had in there, which I wasn't really interested in, but I became interested in after I got to it, uh, you know, um, after I started listening to it, which is Paige Van Zant, and I listened to her uh, autobiography uh, or biography um, uh, uh, during this past week, and I did not know about her background and her her life narrative before this. I did not know anything about it, um, and, and um, I. I'm speaking as though you know, you know, uh, that you're familiar with her life story where she was raped as a teenager. Um, and her mindset, um, I think she was 14 when this, when this happened. And um, I have a stepdaughter and I think about, you know, you know, and this is very, um, you know, you look at the world differently if you have to look as a, as a caregiver over a little girl and you think about things. Um, 
and the circumstances there in which the shame and and the guilt and all of the the just the all the things going on and then i later on just yesterday i finished another biography by the youngest sommelier uh, in the country who is the 2020 um sommelier of the year um winner and, and um, and her book is called um, Wine Girl, and that's the you know people you know she, where she was working. They said, "Oh, Wine Girl," and they're calling her Wine Girl, you know. And she tells a tale of being raped, and um, you know, just this week, New York Times ran a story that Fred Dame uh, that there's some. Uh, uh, there's some um, accusations around Fred Dame, who is, um, you know, there are allegations around his misconduct, and he is like the head of the master of the Court of Sommeliers, which is a certifying body. And so you can imagine. Now you're talking. You're talking about. Are you re- referencing? Is this Somalia? What, what is? What is Somalia? A sommelier is that okay? A sommelier um, in the hospitality industry works at yeah. works in um, high end restaurants. Um, when you sit down and um, they bring you the wine list and the menu, uh-huh. a sommelier is a is a uh, food and beverage professional um, who has developed a, a high range. Uh, ability, a black belt, a brown belt, black belt ability to discern, um, you know, the chemical compositions, the geography, the cultural, the winemaking process, everything around to get at the perfect wine pairing and extensive knowledge. You know, like over 500 estates within um, one territory of like Landoc, which is a which is a small uh, state, you know, in France, you know, just to have that amount of knowledge. It's it's a black, it's what we would consider a brown belt, black belt level knowledge in the food and beverage industry. Um, but I, I, I'm, I mention this because it doesn't matter the, the knowledge domain. What I'm, what I'm talking about is, is there are people who are in power at, in at the tops around these knowledge domains and they're using their power um not for good and i'm connecting that with um you know the vulnerability we have of those in our midst and how difficult it is for them to speak up and because it is you know there's fear of speaking up there's fear of you know there's a lot of fear around this and you as a journalist I, i'm sure you've seen victims of heinous crimes well, um, and, look, and their families yeah yeah so the bridge to the conversation today about uh you know when i talk about cancel culture is i respect I respect um, I respect the the side of the argument which is 
listen to me or listen or, you know, how can I change inside of me to be more receptive to the warning signals? This is situational. It is a form of situational awareness of harm. For benefit, for benefit of the viewer who might be a little bit confused now, what is yeah. the question we're what is the question we're attempting to answer? What's the question? Uh, how much should you shut yourself off from the politi- the politics as opposed to the issues? And and how do you remain receptive to what you care about whenever things get politicized? So okay, look, there are merits of let's, can, let's, cancer culture. Let's make that a more direct question. So even more, let's go, let's, let's layer that. Let's go deeper. Let's make it even more direct. The question is then what? Um, so, so let me, I, I don't know if I can express it. I'm not a, you know, obviously I'm not a writer, so I'm not as articulate, but I would say, um, you know, inside of you seek, to find your biases. And like when you see, when you see like an accusation made, um, there's, you know, there's, there's a few things that can happen. If you're thinking of politics of like, oh, this is just cancel culture. You know, if you have a reflexive bent towards, oh, this is, you know, this is just cancel culture and the way it's positioned. Versus, and what's going on here? Is there something endemic in in this situation where it's hard for those who are being victimized to speak up and and to affect real change? Um, so I'll give you an example. I just saw a headline flipping through my Google News, and I saw something like Dana White bet made a bet uh, with. Um, Oh, shoot, who's that? Uh, Iceman versus a security guard. He made a $5,000 bet whether Iceman could beat up, uh, what's his name, Iceman? Uh, whether Liddell could beat up a security guard. And also is the headline written like that. And to me, my I, that whiffs of cancel culture, you know, I'm like, oh, that's written a certain way, you know. Um, and not... That's not in the same vein as what I'm talking about today when I mentioned well, well, the name what of that, No, what does that have to do with cancel culture? That story about Chuck and the security guard. Well, I, my you know, one of my initial radar, you know, perceptions is is this another hit piece on Dana White and the bro culture? You know, is, is this another and, and that is like a long attack being made but, but, against but how, the bro how culture. culture how, how does cancel culture filter, uh, affect that, though? I mean, I, if that if that's the question, or is this designed to take another dig at Dana, make Dana look bad? How is cancel culture factor into that? Oh, well, uh, he is an emblematic. Of, you know, he has close relations to uh, Donald Trump. Um, he is an ardent, uh, him and, you know, you think about, uh, Joe Rogan and if you put this into like a matrix of, you know, you have Joe Rogan, which is vilified on one side of the party because it represents uh, bro culture and 
you have to balance the the politics of this versus being sensitive to you know are there you know are, do do the allegations merit uh, concern? So are you so, saying that are, are you saying that because politics has become I mean people are so I would say religious about politics now right where we've reached a level of religion it, it's replaced religion I mean people think that they're not this is my take people think that they're not religious they may not be church religious or synagogue religious or go to the temple religious or whatever or go to the mosque religious but uh -huh. people are religious about their a lot of people are religious about their politics thinking let's just shove this down everyone else's throat we got the right answer let's just shove it down everyone's throat kind of like religion used to do right when religion when religious people were making the laws and whatever that's what they did this is what you're doing and you know it's because of this authority said so now it's just replaced it it's it's science it's you know it's a government it's whatever it's it's political groups saying we have the the right answer it's only one right answer and it's our answer and if you don't like it then you're this evil person or whatever and if you happen to have a name and be a big brand let's create a political hit piece on you and take shots at you and sort of send the message that this is not and so is that what you're saying is sort of a cancer culture meaning when someone's somebody with influence speaks up if they don't jive with the dominant political views then they are assailed in the media or negative headlines and then they're attacked because they represent a threat to maybe a political movement or a political ideology is that what you're saying is that you're saying I, I think, yeah i think so yeah i think that i i don't you know you lost me a little bit because i got caught up jumbled up in my own thoughts as you're speaking but um i think you're you're in that you're in the neighborhood um now relating this to jujitsu um you know or, or even to the sport of mma um you know th there's broad brushes being picked up and used to um to label um to label you know those in in, in our community you know of uh, of jujitsu and, and i would just want to say in a more, you know, in a public forum, um, I think, you know, I, I think that we all should strive to balance, uh, you know, the criticisms we have against cancel culture, balance that with, and this is like pretty abstract, but balance that with not letting down our guard, our situational awareness for those in our midst who may be uh who may be getting harmed do you know what i mean i mean that's hard to say um, yeah I, I, it's a little bit abstract for me but i think and i'm not good at getting you there i'm sorry yeah, it's yeah, this, this is not my strength abstract. yet i i would say that what i think some of the biggest problems we have in our country is the disparity in wealth when when all when almost all of the wealth is in so few hands it becomes very easy to get your way i mean even if there's only two political parties if there's only two dominant political parties that are 90 
seven, 98%, whatever it is, 95, yeah. 96, whatever percent of the votes, that's very dangerous. If I'm a very, if I'm a super, super, super powerful person and I've only got two political parties that run everything, I could be in, I could be in good with both of them. I can have tremendous sway. I mean, so it's, it's a very dangerous thing as much as I, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to demonize wealth. So I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to demonize wealth. I mean, we, we need, we need, you know, we are a nation that's supposed to reward and incentivize, you know, ingenuity and innovation and, and accomplishment. So, you know, that's part of the beauty of America is the chance to, to make it here, to make a living. And in a lot of places, you don't have that, right? There's social mobility here. There's economic mobility. That's part of the promise of America. That's why people come, came by the boatloads and people risk their lives and people have, you know, crawled through deserts and, and, and to, to, to be here, right? It's a beacon. And so we can't really ever take away some of the financial promises around that. We should not be demonizing people that do well. I don't, I don't think we should. But we should be extremely concerned about the disparity where the wealth is in fewer and fewer and fewer hands. And it's just easy to control stuff and get your way. And that is going to, you know, that to me makes a cancel culture even more likely. When you just have, boom, the power is in very few hands. It's very easy to be like, do as I say or else. Big consequences. It's easier to do that when the Mm -hmm. power is shared. When the resources are more shared, and I'm not sitting here taking a side, I'm not saying capitalism, socialism, communism, I'm not passing a judgment on that. But I think whether we're capitalist or we're socialist or we're whatever name we want to call it, we most of us want there to be more shared resources. We want, we want there to be a sharing of resources where there's less desperation, where the power is more divided up. It's very dangerous when the power is just in so few hands, then what does that mean to freedom? What does that mean to cancel culture? What does that mean to, you know, to whatever fascism, whatever names you want to have at some point that that can become very dangerous. We've seen that historically. So as much as I I love listening to Jeff Bezos talk, I could listen to Peter Thiel, Warren, Warren Buffett. I've watched, you know, Carlos Slim, I've watched hours and hours and hours of them speaking, many hours of them speaking. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand man. Um, You know, I love that. So, but, and I respect what it takes to do what they've done. However, when we look at the landscape and we look at how many people in this country are paycheck to paycheck by the skin of their brow, like, living with their parents now, 35, 36-year-old people, 40-year-old people living with their parents in numbers we haven't seen. Homelessness in every, almost every major city you go, rows and rows and rows and rows of homelessness that is getting so bad, it encroaches upon everything. You're n- nobody is safe from it. You can't go into a grocery store. It's the saddest thing you're going to see, and it's everywhere. And at what point do we as a society say, okay, we do need to share the resources? And I don't think that necessarily has to be government mandates. I actually don't think that. I think, you know, it's dangerous when you give, when you have, to me, when you have, a, the bigger the government gets, that's dangerous to me. 
to my mindset. It's dangerous to go bigger, 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 bigger government. Like that's dangerous. No offense to people in government. We need government. We need good governance. But it's dangerous when federal government, the largesse of federal government, it's just, again, it's the same kind of concentration of power. And that's a very dangerous thing. So we've got conditions in this country, this amazing, beautiful country, full of amazing rich people and amazing middle class and amazing people trying to make their way up. We've got a lot of potential, but we've got a place where we've been creating these broken systems and broken conditions for many decades now. Broken, broken, broken. And we're looking up now, we're looking at the wreckage. We're looking at the wreckage of a lot of bad policies and conditions that we've kicked the can to, kick the can down, down, down the road, just keep kicking it. And now it's there and it's a big freaking mess. And a lot of these kids, I understand them being angry. They're in their, they're 19, they're 20, they're 21, they're 22. They don't have the same opportunities that a lot of people had in previous generations when the getting was good, when for 25 grand, you could buy a house and for, you know, whatever, six or seven grand, you could get yourself a nice car and everybody could be middle-class. And you know, there was a lot of that here. At, at different times it the american dream to a lot of people's eyes is fading it's way harder it's way more competitive it's way more desperate and people are pissed and the national debt keeps going up and, and but my examples sick. weren't my examples uh, you went down a path of of money and wealth yeah but i but my examples uh, with respect to cancel culture were not yeah, in that they were not down that they were not down I that understand. branch. I understand. I, I'm not My, can I can, can we can we come back to that? Yeah, because I want to hear your thoughts on this. I want to bring you know if if I can redirect you, I want to hear your thoughts on um more. You know, I'm talking about the would let, let me let me put put it to you this way: Would you let your daughter? Go train jujitsu, knowing the savages that are on the mat, and balance that with cancel culture, which is, you know, well, we should just tear it tear it all down. And how yeah, does that relate to jujitsu? How does I'm that relate still, to jujitsu? The cancel you culture know, thing too abstract for me, I guess, because I don't, I just think of it in terms of political, you know, extreme. Political yeah, threat. it's not, it's more localized. You know, I, I'm thinking of it in a different vein. And uh, so I'm not, I'm just, I'm not totally grasping that. I mean, the first part of your question, would I let uh, my daughter, I don't have a daughter, but would I let her train jujitsu? Theoretically. Uh, absolutely. I, yeah. you know, I, I would be, um, I think as a lot of parents would be i might be a little more protective than most in the sense mm -hmm. that i know i know it's a lot easier for um for guys to sort of hook up with women in that setting because there's a lot of barriers removed in a normal society you have you know you have normal space considerations in a normal society you meet a woman there's a certain distance you stand from them you're not hugging them you're not you know bring it in you don't you know when you meet them in jiu-jitsu, you're breaking, you know, it, there's a lot, people's comfortability normally, again, in jiu-jitsu, people get comfortable quicker, right? So a lot of people, like a lot of women, for guys out there that are in dating, one of the things with women, they always talk about is, I need to feel comfortable with whatever. You could be the greatest guy in, in the world. Women have their fears, they have their insecurities, just like we do. 
And they are just really selective about who gets to be comfortable, who they get, who they let themselves be comfortable with, right? They have a lot of natural walls and defenses built up because guys are always hitting on them because guys might exploit them. You know, guys might just hook up with them and then ghost them, whatever, whatever goes through some people's minds. So they, you know, they're big on comfort. Well, a lot of times in jujitsu, there is a, an accelerated comfortability because you are training with someone or, you know, you're sweating, you're, you know, you're the, you know, even everything. I mean, your, your body, your body temperature is way up and everything. And, you know, and it's about as close as you can get with another human being short of, you know, um, short of, of some intimacy or some sort of thing, you know? So it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a very unique art in that way because most sports, if you played a woman in soccer, you know, there wouldn't be any really close contact normally be rare. Right. I mean, right. You know, now so. we're, now we're in the space where I'm talking about now where, where I wanted to take the conversation because this is that there, there are some nuanced ethics here. Yeah, um, so, so, so in any event, and you know, there, there's, I mean, look, you've got, since we're talking about my daughter or a daughter, uh, theoretically. Talking, yeah. How would we're you talking about guys, guys that are a lot of times they're, they're, they're decent looking, they're good looking. They're taking care of their bodies. They're, they're ripped. They're, you know, these are like some of the alphas of society. A lot of people would find them attractive. I mean, they're, some of them, some of them are built like Adonis. Some of them are very, you know, sweet personalities, whatever. And so the risk, you know, the thing with jujitsu is the sex thing can mess up the dynamics of things. So if people are running around having sex on mats, right? So if I'm talking about actually, teenage um, okay, minors. Let's 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 let's, 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 let's do it in the space yeah. of the minors. That way, in any event, you can yeah. start messing up the, the the dynamics of you know as far as a minor going. Um, you know, I don't think that you know in a jujitsu place. If if your daughter's a minor, I'm not worried about the older guys. I don't think if your daughter's 15, right. I think that the vast, vast, vast you know 99% of people on those mats are not going to try anything with your daughter, you know, especially if you're training and you're, I mean, I think that that's highly, highly unlikely. Um, so I, and why is that? Why, in your experience, why, why is jujitsu safe for a a 15 year old teenage girl to come in there? Why is that safe? there, There are stories out there that are few and far between. The human mm-hmm. brain, and you've read enough books, though. The human brain is so is wired so much for fear that it's disgusting. Like if people looked at the stats on child molestation, if they looked at the stats on homicide, if they looked at the stats and everything, there's they are terrified of things that are improbable, that are, that are highly highly unlikely. And the human brain makes things like, oh my, we read a freaking headline and we assume that. Where your community is just just corrupt and evil and whatever, and everyone's going to come for our kids, and that's not realistic. You go look, go look at the stats. I just looked at them last night. The odds of being a victim of a homicide in the United States of America, right? Because everyone's like, I could be killed if I went on the wrong date. I could be killed by the guy. And is he an axe murderer? Women screening guys. Is he an axe murderer? Is he whatever? It's like, go look, go pull the stats on homicide. It's like. It's like a one in 18,000 chance in any given year. You're like a one in 18,000 odds 
in any given calendar year in America that you'd be the victim of a homicide. And guess what? If you're not, you know, using drugs and involved in other like street level shenanigans and hanging out with with gangsters or whatever, your odds are way lower, way, way lower than that. The one in 18,000 is like you got to be up to you got to pick like just the most homicidal boyfriend. You got to be dating gangsters and you got to be, in, you know, messing with drugs that, you know, if not, your odds are pretty damn low. Like like the level of fear people have of that is so much higher. So it's the same with this. We see a headline or we hear things right about this instructor, whatever, whatever. It's so rare, but it makes it sends off alarm bells of people to where they become almost irrational, like irrational emotion, irrational yeah. fear. And that's a very popular thing in our society. There's a lot of bad laws that get passed because of that, because people are so, um, you know, I would even say even with COVID, even though COVID's a real thing, my opinion, COVID's a real thing, you know, whatever, 200 some thousand deaths where it's contributed to, whether or not it's the primary cause. I mean, you know, that's somebody can crush those numbers, but you got 800 and some thousand a year dying of cardiac disease, right? You know, uh, um, heart disease and whatever. And nobody's bitching about, there's nobody bitching legislation about all, how much does the American diet contribute to the epidemics of cancer, of heart disease, which kill, or unforced medical errors, which kill 250,000 people a year in America by, you know, doctor, you know, mistakes by doctors and other medical staff kills more than a quarter of a million. We're just cherry picking. It's like, where's the, where's the emphasis on other things that kill people too, that have been just unnecessary, a lot of lives and sort of death by a thousand cuts, right? Your diet is death by a thousand cuts. But if you have something that kills even less people, but it's an instant, oh, well, we, we freak out. But yeah. a lot of things, a lot of things in our world, people have a skewed perception. Yeah, you're not if you're sending your son or daughter to a reputable academy, right? Not someone just who's not a legit black belt or is in the middle of nowhere and isn't an affiliate and is, is doesn't have a you know isn't properly belted by by a legit black belt, um, you know. But if you're in a legit place. It's 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 on so many levels. It's just it'd be suicide for a business. It's the kind of people we tend to attract tend to not be that. You know, we tend to attract people that are hard workers, that are that are a little more humble. Um, so, you know, the, the likelihood of that you are dealing, I think, with a little better person, a more driven person, a more purposeful person. I think the likelihood is 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 pretty slim. And I would feel really comfortable about putting my daughter in there. Now, when my daughter turned 19 or 20 or 21 or whatever, and you're not driving her to practices anymore, I'd be I'd be concerned unless she had a steady boyfriend. I would because I think that um, there'd be, you know, depending on her personality, a lot of it depends on her personality, how she carries herself. But just as a dad, you have this thing that's like, oh, man, you know, like. You, you just have this thing where all those guys and all those guys, all those alphas and all those Adonises and then your daughter, they're like, oh, my goodness. You know, it, it put a little fear in you as a as a parent. But absolutely. That's, that's mm-hmm. when she's 19, 20, 21, whatever. Um, that, that's right. That after she's of legal. So I, I think you touched on something and I want to expand on that a little bit more of how, you, you know, as how many hours a day does Robert Drysdale stand on his mat 
watching over watching over uh watching over everyone on the match rolling him or his senior staff it's 100 percent yeah there's well, always there's, there's always there, someone there's, in charge there's cameras. who has there's cameras throughout probably 95 percent of his academy and he's had cameras for a long time so henzo's does too now henzo's yeah. has cameras downstairs looking in the in the so that's one thing is there are cameras um uh in the you know on the mat space but there are also witnesses you know and, and what i'm getting at today is that when i talked to earlier about that you know the introspection and and being aware um you know like if you let's get into you know the bro the bro culture of i i have to admit i have never heard anything in, inappropriate of one jujitsu student speaking about an, the opposite sex in the locker room or outside of the mat you know what i'm saying i've never i've never experienced that i've never women, experienced women, in, in in general in general women in the jujitsu and probably wrestling too, and I even think MMA, I think that they are respected by their peers. I'm not talking about, you know, maybe I'm not talking about salaries and things like that. That's not my domain, my, you know, but, but in the trenches, the women are very respected because I think a lot, particularly among the guys, particularly among the men who've been training a long time in the combat sports. They have a very high level of respect for the women because we know how much harder it is for them, especially from my generation, when the women, pretty much 95% of their training partners were men. And that was a lot of, you know, that's a lot of, a lot more risk on them, a lot more weight and muscle and power yeah. on their limbs, on their, you know, on their bodies, uh, you know, and not every guy was nice to them. So I think that in general, there is a higher amount of respect, again, particularly from the people that are mid-level training or high level, a lot of respect for women because we know, um, we know when they're training with the guys, I mean, they're, you know, I'm a smaller guy, right? So I'm 140 pounds and I'm training sometimes with 200 pounders, 230. I've went up to into the 300s. I've went well into the 300s in my life, right? On the mat. So I'm giving up a lot of weight, right? I'm strong for my size but i'm giving up a lot of weight a lot of times most of the time on the mat even when i even though i trained in recent years with people that were within 20 25 30 pounds of me if you add up my whole career i'm i probably most of my training sessions have been with people that are at least 20 30 40 pounds heavier very common yeah. most of my career has been against that and i know how challenging that can be now let's factor in a woman that weighs 120 115 who's coming in their training and they you got guys, all of her training partners are not men that are 115 pounds. doesn't work that way. She's training right. with guys that are 150, 200, 220. Yeah. And even though some of those guys are being nice, she's still, I mean, if a woman is training and she's a purple belt or a brown belt or a black belt, she's paid her dues, bro. Every guy hasn't been nice to her. We want them to be right. But every guy hasn't been nice. She's had, She's got her. She's pushed her body through a lot, right? And so what you mean by nice? We, just yeah, to we clarify that. that. And yeah, we know that, and we respect that. We respect that the women 
have just as much fighting spirit and heart as the men. There's no drop-off whatsoever. The only thing that's different a lot of times is the skeletal muscle and the muscle mass. The women, the drive to win, the fire, the fighting spirit, there's mm -hmm. no drop-off whatsoever. And I've coached female athletes, and I know that, and I've never questioned that. I always knew, damn. And in fact, I would say, and I've had this conversation with other, other guys, uh, a good buddy of mine, um, we were talking about how I would say that the that the average woman has a higher, not just the pain, you know, the pregnancy thing, has a higher pain threshold. Women in general are tougher than men. They have a better pain threshold. Um, now, when you start getting into the elite, elite men, you know, like the Navy SEALs and the elite, now, you're, you know, the guys are kept, the guys are there with the women, right? Those guys can take a lot of pain. But if you just go and give me a class of 100 people at random, 100 women, 100 men, you know, mid-level belts or below you give me that i think that i honestly think that we could make a compelling case that the women have higher pain thresholds they're tough and 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 when you see that on the mat man you just you just respect it like you just you admire it so most guys are not looking for sure make it the vast vast majority of jiu-jitsu academies out there totally safe for a woman great place for a woman the guys are not looking to exploit the women. They're going to be coming there every day. They're not. But things do happen because it's still guy, girl, or whatever, whatever you're into, whatever your guy, girl, guy. We're talking about men and women girl. of legal right. age. But right. can, I, can age. I jump in real quick? Just can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Uh, before you get too much further, you said, you know, bad, something you said about bad women have bad, like bad partners or, you know, bad training partners. I think that what you meant to say, or what just to, just to elaborate on that, what you're referring to is nothing inappropriate, but more so of a man using his physical strength against a woman on the mat, as opposed to anything inappropriate. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's what you meant so had, when they're when they're brown belt or black belt. They've gone yeah, through that a, fire. A bad, a bad training partner would be somebody who was reckless or didn't have regard for your body in terms of training, in terms of being using too much force. When I was in okay. high school wrestling, okay? So think about this. I've had, I bet you I've rolled, my, between wrestling and jiu-jitsu, I bet you I've got, I don't know, probably over 20,000 hours of live wrestling, okay? Of live wrestling or jiu-jitsu or whatever you want to call it, you know, submission wrestling. And in all those hours, okay, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of training partners, thousands, okay? In all that, there was one time in my life as a guy that another, this was in high school, and it was a coach. That guy was grabby. Like, that guy was grabby in a very unusual, weird way. Like, that was not, I remember after the role, I was like, I mean, like, I don't want to roll with him again. You know, like, and I wasn't positive that that was sexual in nature, his intentions. I wasn't positive because I'm out there on the mat. I'm 15 years old and I'm just thinking about winning. The guy was like 220 pounds. He was muscular. He was an assistant coach. So he was, you know, he was a big guy. He was strong. He was, he was from Penn State. So, <laughs> we can so go down doing, that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm doing everything I can to stand up, yeah. to, to take him down, to win, to survive. Yeah. And I'm not thinking about, you know, but 
it, it did feel like, again, instinctively, we all kind of know we still have our inner sense. And I came off the mat and I thought about it a little bit later that day. And I'm like, that was like weird. That guy was, you know, really like really touchy feely. And like, I don't, you know, and I, I don't even know if I said something to the head coach. I don't know if I did or I didn't. I don't remember rolling with that guy again. And I don't know if it was because I had, if I conveyed something to him, I don't know. I wasn't the kind to say something to a head coach. I wasn't the type to. I don't think I did, but somehow it worked out where I didn't roll with him. I don't remember rolling with him after that. But I do yeah. remember for my whole life, think about this. I've rolled with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I remember that role with that guy. Like you never mm -hmm. forget that. You don't you never forget like him being like he wasn't like blatant. He wasn't like totally like grabbing whatever, but it was just like his hand was just it just it his hands were just like that doesn't normally happen in a role. And I think I also was a little bit suspect about him anyway. He just kind of a little bit a little bit off. So, you know, anyway, I I've had that. And what I'm saying is it's so rare, even like even for for me, it, it is rare. It can happen. It happened to me, you know, like I'm pretty sure. That that guy's intentions. That guy was a pervert. I mean, I'm pretty sure that he was a pervert. Like, and I, would I want would I have wanted if my son to, to train with that guy or someone like him? No, I wouldn't. Or my daughter? Heck no. Like heck no. Yeah. Um, and but that's that was the only time that I encountered it. I'm sure I encountered other people. I hate to say I'm, I'm not the most attractive guy, but I'm reason I'm I'm okay attractive. And I'm sure there have been a few people over the years that were attracted to me in some sense. Maybe I was traded with, with women or whatever. It might have even been men. I'm sure there are people, but nobody was grabbing on me. Everybody's very yeah. respectful of that, right? So it's like if people are attracted to someone, like you still know the rules of engagement. It's the furthest thing I would say for most people. It's the furthest thing from your mind out there. Like it's an emptying. It doesn't fit with it. Like it doesn't fit with our culture. Like to be thinking about that. We're thinking about how do I get out of this position? What do I do if you do this? How do I bait you? You know, how do I get, how do I get out of this, uh, out of this spot? Where should my leg go? Where should my foot go? Wait, he had sure. that grip. How do I break that grip? Right. Your brain is making all these micro decisions. And imagine being a woman sitting there who has about, to like, yeah. But imagine being a woman who has to also have that filter running of self-preservation not just the sport itself, but as a woman, you live with that filter on because that's just part of your, that's part of your makeup at that point. That's part of your being. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's so tough because here you are in, you know, in, in that space. I, 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 and, and so there's, I mean, First, what I wanted to raise with this, now that we're in this, you know, we got we got here, okay? We got to the point, which is, as a, where I'm at, you know, blue belt, male, and I'm working my way up the ladder, up the mountain. As I'm walking up the mountain, you know, and I, you, you see, you know, you pass people along the way who stopped their journey, and if I were to or you, you see down and you see other people who are starting their journey. And I would tell them, 
you know, the, the population of jujitsu uh, practitioners who are, who made it to blue belt and who continue on up the ladder. They're very, you know, I mean, their health, they're focused on the health and mental health. But I also think that they're quite cerebral because they've had to roll with, you know, opposite, you know, opposite sex. They've had to, this is something which we discuss in our community of jujitsu practitioners is uh, how to, how do you roll with the opposite sex? What is, you know, and you have, I think that, you know, every brown belt, every black belt has developed a sense of situational awareness where they would not tolerate, they would not tolerate it, uh, um, any kind of abuse because that impugns their value. Yeah, I think the caliber of person that we get in general is of a higher caliber. I also think, you know, there's a lot of people around. And if somebody did touch someone inappropriately like that, the consequences could be immediate, like you're doing it in the wrong environment. I think most people know, like, the, the alphas will rise up there. Like, if you know that they will, they will. Um, they will protect. They, they will re- regulate and protect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, their, their students, their friends, their whatever, a woman. So I think most people are like- Or people if, if of we, other- Yeah. Or people so, of other uh, uh, backgrounds. Uh, yeah. Black, so, so, indigenous, people of color. Yeah. Uh, or uh, gender identification or orientation. There, I there would tell no, you, like, it's not like gym culture. Yeah. There, there is no race. Like that race thing is, is there, there's no- you know, we pretty much don't have that. Like we, you know, we're like, we're like the NBA or the NFL, whatever you're, you know, that's your teammate. So you don't, you know, that, that's not mm-hmm. a, uh, that's not a thing in, in our, uh, in our community, but you know, again, you'd have to be a really stupid, dumb, desperate, like guy to come into a fight Academy or a jujitsu Academy or a wrestling mat and be touching on somebody. It's the wrong place. And I think people mm-hmm. would, realize very quickly that the consequences would be swifter than a lot of other places in, um, in society. So I think that it's, you know, now what, what might be worth asking is this, this thing that jujitsu has had where it's been very welcoming and it's been, it has blended the races and the religions and the different political ideologies. It, 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 it lets them live together in, in fairly good harmony. You wonder, is that necessarily the case moving forward because people become more and more political? You wonder if our community could become more political, mirroring regular society, and if it became more, a little more tribal. I mean, right now there might be some tribalism based on my team's better than yours, but you wonder if certain um, you know, jiu-jitsu schools out there if, there, if there would be a trend where they become more... Um, you know, more political, you know, I, I don't know, but, but, you know, we're, we're maybe this, this good thing we're talking about is not necessarily a forever thing, right? It's not like we're guaranteed for jujitsu to be a cool environment and people sharing mm-hmm. and swapping and even people from other different teams being communal. They come train with us sometimes and, and, you know, people, 
there is a lot of that. You go to another country, hey, stay with us, and people roll out the red carpet for you. People, if you train jujitsu or and, you, and you've been, you're a purple or you're a brown or a black, people trust you. People let you in their house. They trust you at their house. They trust you around their 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 family. Whatever you know, people are more trusting. But, but should we take that for granted? You know, should we think we're immune? I mean, I guess it's possible that we could have a lot more political stuff too if if society keeps doing that. But again. What we're talking about with people on the mats and respecting each other and respecting our boundaries, we're basically talking about professionalism, right? We're talking about professionalism on the mats, right? We don't normally use that word about us because most of us when we compete in jiu-jitsu, we're amateur. But but we're talking about professionalism, which is that, you know, even if you were at a, a workplace and you were attracted to somebody, you know that you work there. You know, you know, that you can get yourself in trouble. You know that, you know... Um, you know, that it could affect even your work. It could affect your, your, you know, your job there. It could affect you forever and ever. So people are normally on their best behavior. They're very professional and that's, that's the way to be. And I think that you're going to encounter the same thing on a jujitsu mat, but with the extra burden that if somebody with the extra feature that if somebody touched somebody in the wrong way or something like that, like there could be swift and the swift consequences and repercussions. The the, the guys there, the, and the other women, the alphas will rise up and protect. Um, that's and the, protect anybody who's who's violated. So that's the paradox of our martial art. The paradox is you're in a much more intimate space. However, it's because of the code we live in. We live under. Whether it's a formal code of conduct like Henzo has at the front of the mats, or we're talking about uh, the martial arts code, the, the unwritten code. It's not a bro culture like what some media puts out to be. I would be more concerned about my daughter going to the gym than I would a, a jujitsu mat because of the, the factors we're talking about. That's the paradox in all of this is that she's safer there in a gi or no gi training full contact as opposed to being in a gym because there is no code that's a jungle there is no you know that's that's that is you know a savanna with high you know hyenas and and all kind of you know stalking cats out there um so i would and that's just and that's where i'm getting at you know when you have a camp with this this political uh, movement of cancel culture um and it comes from different perspectives and also the me i'm also kind of blending in the me too movement um because i'm saying there's we have there's some safeguards built into the rigorous, the the hardcore jujitsu community. There's some safeguards built in, and it's the code of conduct there that we would see. Be no tolerance, I would say, at ninety nine point nine percent. There would be, you know, you don't even need legislation, man. There'd be no tolerance for it. People would be, mm -hmm. you know, remember. Remember, our art is founded, I mean, you know, it's popularized at least by, I mean, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu that the Brazilians took and modified and added their innovations. And so 
to understand some of our code, I mean, that, that's in a lot of our academies, we have to understand a little bit about Brazilian culture. You've seen it there. Like, I mean, they have, bro, they, they, I mean, they, they have some vigilantism, you know, they don't, they, they, they don't tolerate some of this nonsense, you know, like touching on somebody, they, they, they're pretty swift about it, you know? And, yeah. and so there's, there's definitely like a, um, a zero tolerance. Now, when we're talking about, you know, whatever, romantic tensions where we're talking about adults and consensual stuff, you know, like a lot of places that, that can go on, right? It's not rampant. It's not epidemic, but you have consenting adults that are attracted to people and what they do off the mats. Most of us don't care. Most, we don't sit around talking about it, but it happens and it happens because there is an intimacy there and there's a lot of people that are in shape and fit and whatever and they get attached to each other they get a bond and so but that is um you know that is of the consensual variety if somebody wanted that you know that there are that those relationships do exist at some academies some more than others but that's their business right that's just people doing what you know doing their thing on the side that's not the that same as the inappropriate level stuff we no, there, no, there's there's a different well, those are not even those those on a Venn diagram. Those don't overlap. That's a, that's a different thing. Hey, we've got about fifteen minutes left, but um, th you know, I this our conversation met um, my own goals here of me bringing up um, uh, Paige Van Zandt's story and um, the Somalia I refer to. Is, her name is Victoria James. It met that. I, it sated my desire to bring this up today, um, which is we got to that point, which is the culture in our martial art is not a bro code. It's not a locker room banter, you know, with uh, misogynists or it, it's, it's not that it's not that kind of environment. Um, it's, I think a very healthy environment. It's one of inclusivity. It definitely of inclus inclusivity of any, you, you throw out anything you are included in under the banner when you join, um, if you're on a Henzo's team or a Gracie Baja, that, that's, those, those are the tribes that you see, you know, it's like, Oh, let's see Marcelo Garcia's no gi champ up against, you know, one of Danaher's uh, uh, monsters. You know that tribalism is different, but that's the that's the beauty of being that 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 I find. That's what is beautiful to me about jujitsu is um, it's it's a safe space to work out your to work out yourself, and um, a lot of those you know imperfections or I just said, you know, a lot of those things which need to be worn down, like with sandpaper, you know, a lot of those imperfections about people um, get sanded down. It gets cleaned up. It gets fixed on the mats through proper um, modeling of behavior. I wouldn't say that, you know, all, every, every gym owner, you know, every jujitsu practitioner is a model person, but as its component, as its as its amalgamation, 
it's it's a wonderful thing in the end on the balance yeah, it's there, a wonderful thing there, there, there is no contention there is no contention that everyone who trains jiu-jitsu or wrestling is a good person the only thing that we know for certain is that they while they are training while they are committed they are almost definitely a better person than they would otherwise be they can still have many flaws many blemishes um i've said it many times i mean if i needed a mechanic the first place i would look is in my jujitsu network i mean i would trust that yeah. mechanic honest mechanic somebody with something sensitive i'm much more inclined to trust someone that i train with or that trains it doesn't mean that I, that, that i'm going to be right but I would be much more inclined to trust them because I know certain things about them in terms of their level of commitment. I know a little bit about their code. I have martial arts to bond with them. I just think that even if they were somebody who would shortcut somebody else, that probably given me being a black belt in our bond, that they wouldn't. And, and yeah. that's, you know, I think a lot of us feel that way. I would trust the mechanic that I train with, right? I, I would. So there's definitely, um, you know, it's just like a wrestler. If you know that somebody wrestled, they were a really good wrestler in high school or college, and you know a lot about them. You know a lot about their their work ethic. You know, you know that they you know that they prob that they probably mean what they say and say what they mean a lot of times because they're 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 putting it out there. So I would say that you know, in terms of, um, you know, building the person, there there is no contention. I mean, I still had aspects of my life and i think any jujitsu instructor if they were honest no matter how successful you are on the mats there's areas of your life that are not so clean there's areas of your life that are messy there's flaws that need to be fixed sometimes big flaws so none of us is perfect but we're better than we would otherwise be so nobody should think that, i mean look because look i know i know jujitsu black belts multiple that have killed themselves that have committed suicide right mm. so it's not like it's not like jujitsu made their, I mean, I've went to a couple of those funerals and it's not like jujitsu made all their problems go away. They were still in some dark spaces. Ted today, who a lot of us admire, you know, the great jujitsu legend and he had his problems right in the favelas and with drugs and everything. His comeback is amazing, but he still had his problems as, as amazing as he was. He had his issues. A lot of us still have things. I mean, I know, I know jujitsu black belts where, they struggle with a lot of things. Their life's a struggle. Divorce is a struggle. They don't see yeah. their kids as they want to, right? They're not exactly the parent they want to be. We are real people. But what what we have is, I think, because I was telling, look, my brother, right? My brother lives in, um, in Missouri, and his wife is stage four cancer. Mm. And... And his wife, you know, she's, you know, the, the odds, stage four cancer is like, you know, your odds are not that good, right? She's like, she's a trooper. She's super positive. She's got a great network system around her. I think she's going to beat it. She's going to, she's going through chemo. I think she's going to win. She has a lot of the boxes you could check, like she's going to win. And he told me just the other day, he said, you know, because life gets hard for him too. He's about similar age and money's tight and life gets hard for him too. But he said, you know, he never trained jujitsu. But he always remembered something I told him about jiu-jitsu. I told him, when life gets hard, I just think of it as just like a jiu-jitsu practice getting hard. It's those same days where you, you leave the mat. It didn't go your way. It didn't go how you wanted it to go. You know, you didn't, 
you didn't have the results in the in the drilling and in the, in the um, in the live roles that you wanted. You didn't feel it today. You didn't have it today. You drove home and you're second guessing. You're beating yourself up and you're you're trying to talk yourself up. Why do I do this? Why do I spend so much time and whatever? Yeah. And going all the way to completion lets me know the same way that happened in jujitsu. That can happen in other areas of my life. How do I know? I proved it in jujitsu. So I just mm. carry that over those. Those tough days, those rough days, those I'm too tired days, those I'm not good enough days, those I should quit. I'd be better off if I use my time on something else. Those, hey, I'm going to get myself hurt. I'm going to ravage my body doing this. You know, I'm not going to have enough energy for work, whatever. And when you go through those fires enough, you get so much confidence that you can make it through. You can make it to the other side. You can make it to the to the summit. Because you do it. And when you do that, you have the track record there. You just say, well, what is it in jiu-jitsu? What did I do there? And how do I carry it over to here in terms of showing up, in terms of keeping the faith, keeping the conviction? How do I, because it looks dark. This other area off the mats looks really dark. It looks like I'm not going to make it. It looks like I'm running in a circle. It looks like my, that, that I'm too old. It looks like that my time has come and gone. It's past. It looks like I've lost some relationships that I really value that whatever I said the wrong thing and I, and I blown up a relationship that was really important. What am I going to do? It doesn't seem like I can crack this code. And I felt like that so many times jujitsu. And I told my brother who doesn't even train and he remembers that like sometimes like, wow. Yeah. That journey to black belt, it goes through a lot of circuitous rough road. And that's the thing. It doesn't guarantee, okay, you're a black belt. You're going to figure it out. You're going to get to the summit. You're going to be super confident. You're going to be bulletproof and happily ever after. It just means you got a better chance than you did before you started. You got a way better chance. And you got people around you who probably care about you, who would probably come to your funeral, who would give a damn. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's not some, there's jerks. There's a, there's jerks in this sport. I've had, you know, I've had my moments. I've had teammates that I wanted to punch out. I've had teammates want to punch me out. I've had teammates. I wanted to go to the parking lot, like legit. I wanted to go to the parking lot with a guy. Like we can do that. Two guys, you know, I'm not proud of that, but guess what? There's a lot more restraint in me and discipline in me there were a lot of situations I was able to avoid that I had the power of restraint. And the jujitsu, the discipline of jujitsu gave me that power to walk away or to say it's not going to be worth it. Because the thing is, the people that a lot of times that scare the easiest, you know, they're the people that that and and that you know can't fight and their ego is too big and they can't take losing. They're the people back in Baltimore that shoot you the quickest, not the toughest guys. The toughest guys don't shoot you the quickest. The coward will shoot you the quickest, man. So me not becoming a coward helped me. You know, Not being a coward helped me like, hey, let's make smart decisions. Let's value people. Let's avoid situations. When you're a coward, sometimes, guess what you do? You escalate stuff. You escalate it, you know? Maybe you're, maybe you've got a, whatever, a knife, a gun, a baseball bat, whatever, waiting for the guy, you know, but you're going to handle it through cowardice means. So anyway, jujitsu, I said it, and I said it in the TEDx talk, when it comes to people building, you know, you've got some spiritual stuff, meditation, whatever, you've got parenting and mentoring and coaching. 
And then I would say number three in that class, you've got something like a jujitsu. You know, most people didn't get the great, they didn't hit the great parenting jackpot. So they ain't getting that one. Most people didn't hit the mentor jackpot either. So they ain't getting that one. Most people spiritually are lost. So they don't have that one. Give them something. And to me, in that next echelon, it's jujitsu. Jujitsu can take a broken person and it can make them, it can make them more whole. It can make them fit more pieces together. And if they never crack the code, they're way better off. Anyway, I'm going in a circle, but yes, 100%. Jiu-jitsu is, is an amazing art. And, and, yeah. and, and, and if almost everybody trained it, the world would be 10 times cooler than it is, probably 50 times cooler than it is. Well, I'd like to see uh, Andrew Yang and where he goes with it. I think we may have a chance with a broader platform coming with him. But um, I wanted to thank you today for your time. Um, and flexibility and letting me twist this, you know, pivot the conversation into a direction. I appreciate your patience with me um, to do that. And you delivered masterfully on, um, on, on the topic. Um, and so I appreciate you letting me go out there and try to work through how to express myself, you know, uh, today. And it, this is not easy. You know, this, one of the purposes of this podcast is to, you know, for me personally, is, is to is to help improve that articulation and, um, you know, in ways. Um, and so you're kind of coaching me through that, too. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, I wanted to express I want to express. In a way, how jujitsu and its code, how it, it's actually there's a paradox there. Of it, it's actually safer for uh, for uh, people in to come the, to. In the regular world, you could sit behind your keyboard and talk smack about people and insult people. You know, you can do that, right? That's the regular world. The regular world gives you a lot of keyboard warriors, mean yeah. things, insulting things. They never have to face anybody. They, you know, our world is the complete opposite of that. You ain't sitting behind a keyboard. You're in the trenches. If you yeah. do something knuckleheaded, you are going to be checked on it. And that's beautiful. So guess what? We're the complete opposite of social media, mean stuff, and keyboard right. in general. We own it. We're face-to-face. -face, and when and we humanize each other, we're humanized. We're bonded. We're our 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 our. Our, our journeys are tied together, right? We're, 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 we're both, I'm making you better because I need to get better. And the better I can make you, the better I get, right? I need you to be a better training partner. I need you to stop, start stopping that choke, start preventing, start defending that choke so that I have to go to another one. I need you. I need you yeah. badly. So, you know, it's not just this whole us, them thing that we see online and us, them, and they're the bad people and keyboard warriors and their you know, basements and, and anonymous and this is face to face you know you got it you know you reap what you sow instant karma and 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 i need to make you and if i'm smart i need to make you better man i want i want you to give me tougher roles i want to make you better you're going to make me better so we're in this together there's no uh, there's this whole us them thing is foolish like and that's what if society ever catches up to that truth we realize we're all 330 million of us together are making this world 
330 million of us. We need to all up our game. We're all in this together, and we all contribute to the to the vibe of the country, to the health and the vibrance of the country, or lack thereof. We all do. We need to like look out for each other. We can't just have like small little clicks. Like we gotta like we gotta raise up 330 million. That's the energy. The energy of a country is the combined energy of 330 million people. Anyway. Everybody out there watching, happy Sunday. Noah, it's been a pleasure. I want to get out here, get a little more done, get in the snow a little bit. Um, All right, sounds good. Sounds good. Hey, well, everyman, everyman BJJ, we're, we're here for you. Uh, 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. And so I'll see you next Every weekend. Sunday. That's hey, right, Sunday. Sometimes during the middle of the week, too. Take care. Bye, buddy. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.